Well, welcome to another episode of Mission Driven You. And I'm super excited to share my guest today, Aaron Drayen. Aaron has 15 years background. He's been a senior level, a senior level leader in, in public companies. He's been involved in early stage startups. I know a lot of you listening are people who are either entrepreneurial or you're doing something socially entrepreneurial. And so I want to share Aaron's voice with you. He's very, very passionate about personal and leadership development. Um, he's really excited about helping emerging leaders accelerate their path from good to great. So Aaron, super excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Will. I am super excited to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. That's great. So listeners know, and I'll, I'll ask you, the first question we always ask every guest is, tell us the story of somebody or some group that made the difference for you. When you look back, you're like, yeah, I, I just wouldn't be here without them. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's such a great question that really forces you to kind of go to a place in your thought process of why is it that this particular person, group, or example impacted me? How did that move me forward? And, you know, whenever I jumped into a leadership position at the very early age of 23 years old, I look back and remember even back then really wanting to understand what the difference was between people that have had some success and you know, seemed to hit a wall, seemed to plateau out and, you know, had that up and to the right trajectory and it just never fully materialized to full potential versus the other group of people that always seem to find that next level. Doesn't mean it was linear, doesn't mean it was easy, but you look at the arc of their career and they just always were able to level up, go to a new level, adapt, level up. So, for me, the past, I would say, 20 years has been spent really trying to distill what was it in one group that allowed them to keep moving forward at newer, higher levels versus the other group. And while it wasn't a person or even a particular you know, finite group, what it was was more of just an approach and an approach that I've been able to distill down and what I now refer to as the three out success formula. And as I kind of looked at every single one of the individuals, you know, I'm a systems thinker. So I try to distill things down into what's the equation there? What's the formula? What's the one plus one equals three? And what was the common thread across every member of that group was three things that stood out that they were doing differently from the group that wasn't finding that next level. The first thing was they outprepared everyone around them. These were always the people that you never caught them off guard. They were always the, the great students. They did their homework. They did their due diligence. They You weren't going to catch them asleep at the wheel. Doesn't mean they were right 100% of the time, but they were well positioned to be right 100% of the time. That was the first thing. The second thing is what I refer to as they outworked everyone around them. This is not hustle culture language. They didn't wear a badge of honor on their shoulder of working 70 hours a week or 80 hours a week. But what they did do is they firmly realized that time is a standardized finite resource. We all only have 24 hours in the day. So when I refer to them as outworking everyone around them, they essentially out leveraged everyone around them. 
they were able to create the gap between their inputs and their outputs at a masterful level. So with their 24 hours, they just maximize their productivity and output. And then third, arguably the most important, is they outlearned everyone around them. And so one of the big barriers that I've seen over and over and over again is, you know, what happens to us when we get a little bit of success and some experience under our belt, we kind of take our foot off the throttle a little bit. We kind of start thinking, hey, we've we've done some things. We've achieved a couple things here and there. And we lose that beginner's mindset. We lose that ability to show up and just be a lifelong learner. And, you know, on the worst cases, we show up thinking we're the smartest ones in the room. That never happened to this group. No matter where they went, no matter who they were around, no matter how many levels below them that the people were they were engaging with, they were always extracting knowledge, information, insight, and connecting dots. And so that's my long-winded answer to the question of it's this group of people that continue to find new levels of success, and they did it in those three ways. They outprepared, outworked, slash leveraged. And they outlearned everyone around them. Yeah. And what I hear in that third point outlearned is almost an insatiable curiosity, just consist constantly curious. What more can I learn? What do I not know? How can I learn from this person? How can I grow? Yeah. Yeah. Just always, that, oh, yeah, please, yeah. always wanting to always wanting to know why. Instead of looking at a report and just taking the the KPIs at face value, yeah. what drove it? Why did that happen? To your point, the the curiosity to always find out why, always connect more dots. And I'm just a firm believer that being a lifelong learner is a guaranteed, sustainable, competitive advantage. It will always separate you from the from the average or even the good when you can always stay in learning mode. So yeah, it was that it was that deep passion and that that fulfillment they got from learning. Love that. How how do we keep a beginner's mind? Because, you know, my own journey is life reboot at 55. Like I started over again. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are either older entrepreneurs or people say, you know, trying to figure out what the second chapter of their life looks like. How do we find that beginner's mind? If I'm, if I'm particularly, if I come to a real big block in the road, how do I, how do I find that fresh perspective on it? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, it's really always keeping two main ingredients top of mind, awareness and clarity. And when you have those things, you, you almost develop a willingness to want to see or identify blind spots. You always have a sense of reality, not not some formed view that the ego tries to tell us that, hey, look at your resume, look at all those achievements, look at that experience you have. It's always being aware and very clear that when you show up and, and look, this could even happen even when you show up as the either the highest paid or highest ranking member in the room, understand the ROI of being the or thinking that you're the smartest person in the room. And it's a terrible ROI. There is essentially zero upside to be had, but there's massive downside. And so when I think about what drives that curiosity, what drives the fuel that keeps professionals wanting to grow, wanting to learn, wanting to be curious, 
it is really that differentiator between the good and the great. The great performers never settle for status quo. And it's always staying aware and having the clarity of when those little, let's just say the little pieces of complacency look to sneak in, look to settle in and knowing when you're getting a little bit too close or a little bit too comfortable, beware because the comfort zone is that the comfort zone's grabbing you and there is no growth in the comfort zone. So I think, you know, awareness and clarity play such important roles there is because when we lose those two key ingredients, man, it, it's so easy at that point in time to get caught up in thinking I've got them. I've got most of this already figured out. Yeah. Yeah. How do you balance? I, I, I really want to get into the whole performance mindset because I, I know that's a big part of, of what you bring. How do you balance that though with the agile or lean startup notion of good enough? This is one thing that frankly I deal with in my own life. Certainly a lot of my entrepreneurial clients deal with like we want excellence, but we don't want excellence to get in our way. Like how do you balance constant drive toward growth and toward bringing your best? with the knowledge that sometimes good enough is going to be as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it kind of goes back to clarity. Right. And, yeah. and I, I think when you think about good enough, you know, that's great for what it's great for, which is moving forward, which is starting, which is taking a step, but know what game you're playing. And as Simon Sinek says, are you in, are you playing an infinite game or are you playing a finite game? So what does your journey look like? Because if you're full of good enoughs around you, is good enough across the board going to be what lifts you and separates you from every other competitor? Or is your perspective around good enough kind of the fuel to take action, get something out there, not let the desire for perfection or true excellence stop you from taking action, experimenting, testing, but know what's on the other end of that. Have something good enough, get it out there, stress test it, collect the feedback, and then take those learnings, recalibrate, and keep taking action in a pursuit towards kind of the infinite game. So yeah, I think good enough is has a role. It's got a place as long as that just doesn't become your your finish line, your finite, you know, your finite goal to where if you're if you're average, let's say at a lot of different things, how well do you think you'll compete against the organization, the person, whoever it is that is world class at this one thing? And so I think it's all around a perspective of how to leverage good enough, what you need good enough for. But knowing what sits on the other side of that, that's more of a stepping stone than it is a finish line. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost good enough balanced against always better, always growing, always improving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think so much of what we do is filled with imperfection, right? I mean, we're all chasing perfect. It's almost like how we're wired. You know, we grew up playing Little League Baseball to wait on the perfect pitch, wait for the perfect moment. Look. Yeah. Perfect anything is a ghost. It's an illusion. It doesn't exist. And so there's this concept that I love. It's called the confident or competence confidence loop. Yeah. And what starts at the very beginning is getting comfortable being uncomfortable 
taking imperfect action or actions that are good enough in that time period. Because what's going to happen is when you can use good enough to then take action, that it, that action is going to be imperfect. It's not going to be, you know, the clouds will never part and the stars will not align. And, you know, God himself won't come down and say, now is the time to take action. So when you take that imperfect action, it's always going to generate experience. You're getting experience reps in. So you will see some higher level of competence on the other side of that action, which will then give you more confidence to take more imperfect action. So you're creating the virtuous cycle there, but it's it's embracing the fact that these actions, this first step, this launch is by default going to be imperfect. And so there is, I kind of, I kind of think of that bridge around imperfect action to good enough as one and the same. It's not the finish line, but it's a very crucial step along getting to where you ultimately want to go. And what you're defining is the growth mindset. That's right. Is that is that fair? That's so right. so how does that? So let's talk about performance management because that's what uh, you know. I know even my own journey. A lot of people listening, they're saying, "Okay, how do I perform? Like, how do I do the best I can with what I've been given?" So mm-hmm. let's talk about per- unpack the concept of performance management, how that relates to the growth mindset, and how we might find our way into that. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is my favorite topic. So I appreciate you bringing this up. So I've got a foundational belief, and I'll I'll, I'll throw this over to you. Let you stress test it, and and with your with your great experience. But what I've seen that's formed this belief is, I think every professional deep down has aspiration and has a desire to want to see better results and wants to see better performance. I've yet to be anywhere in the workplace and someone's come up to me and said, nope, I don't want to get better at anything. I don't want to improve. I want no better results. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe you've seen it, but I'm just, I'm a firm believer that we all intuitively want to see better results. Now, if that is universal, the big question becomes, why doesn't everybody see better results? Why doesn't everybody, like that group that I mentioned at the very opening, why doesn't everybody find new level after new level after new level? And I think it all comes around the uncertainty of the how. We may want to see better results, but we always or don't always know how. So how I take this and drop it into kind of the varying mindsets, I've really discovered what I've seen apply on just about every team and every room and every group that I speak to is is what I refer to as the 70-20-10 mindset rule. Let's start with the first 20% because that's the easiest and the quickest, right? These are going to be the people that categorically fall into the fixed mindset realm. I think we're all now familiar enough with, you know, Dr. Carol Dweck's mindset work from Stanford fixed mindset versus growth mindset. You know, the fixed mindset group, they're they're content with where they are. They're they're okay with status quo. And guess what? They're typically going to be pretty honest with you about that. They're not here to sh- they're not here to to learn and grow and develop. And maybe they've just made more money than they know what to do with or they've, you know, they're closer to retirement than they are to a, to a promotion. They're they're just good with where they're at. 
they're fine with it and they're open about that. No problem. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's typically going to be somewhere around that 20% in every room. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The 70% is going to be the group that's raising their hand to say that I identify with a growth mindset. When you define it of you know all the all the great things that comes with a growth mindset, the you know the belief that with a proper amount of time, energy, and effort, you can elevate your skills, enhance your intelligence, develop new capabilities, have the the thoughts to overcome the obstacles, to be able to do it, all the good stuff, right? They're going to say all the right things. They're going to post all the right things on LinkedIn. But when you really examine their actions, their behaviors their routines, how committed they are to developing themselves to reach that next level, there's very little to no action that goes behind that belief. So in every room, you're going to have 70 to 80% of the room raise their hand saying, yep, I that's me. I agree with, with the growth mindset. And this is where the, the next tranche comes in. And this is just the 10% left, what I refer to as the performance mindset. So if we remember the 20%, they're going to be upfront and honest with you. I'm not here to grow. I'm not here to develop. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I want to be good right here. That 70%, not all that honest, not only with you, but with themselves. They, they're saying all the right things, but they're not doing anything about it. The 10% is the performance mindset group. And what separates this group, they have the same growth mindset beliefs, but there's one big fundamental difference is they have the willingness and the desire to take action, to be uncomfortable, you know, really stretching themselves to leave the comfort zone, be in the growth zone, take on new challenges. You know, they have the same amount of success as everybody else, but they're looking at things through the windshield, not the rear view mirror. They don't necessarily care about what they've done in the past. They want to find out what they're capable of in the future. They're on a mission to find their best version. They want to tap into their full potential. And so it really comes down to that taking action element. It's great that we've already talked a bit about that is understanding that these actions will be imperfect, understanding that they're probably going to suck at something new for a period of time and they're okay with it because that's where they know the growth lives. So when I think about performance mindset to growth mindset, it's the next level, right? So what growth mindset is to thinking and believing, a performance mindset is to taking action, measuring that action, tracking progress, learning, recalibrating, and taking more action. Yeah. Now, I don't mean this as a gotcha question. I'm legitimately interested in your view on this. Mm -hmm. What do we do with the 70%? Like, are they just, is it just, sorry, dude, shit out of luck. Like it's, (laughs) you don't have the mindset, sucks to be you. Or- and I, I think there are, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Or are there pathways from that 70% to the 20%? Yeah, we we know the people we've identified in the organizations we've been a part of that 20% who's just like, yeah, dude, I'm I'm not interested in growing. Mm-hmm. But but I encounter a lot of people. In fact, I, I just was talking to a client this morning, um, like wanted to go out and create their own entrepreneurial journey, wanted to do several things but couldn't find the pathway into that performance mindset. Mm-hmm. How, how can we help them move from the 70 to the 10? Yeah, yeah. And, and the one thing I'll say is just because you're in that 70% group, don't think that that's a bad thing. 
the I mean, because that's that's the majority, quite frankly. Businesses, governments, you know, every institution or association is full with the majority of their people being in this group. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And so when I think about the 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 different subgroups that make up that 70%, I think that's where you really start seeing driven by their own intention where there's different nuances there. I think you'll find I think you'll find a subgroup that's right there on the cusp of that 10%. They desire to be in that 10% group. They want to graduate to the performance mindset. They just may be lacking the guidance. They may be lacking the systems. They may be lacking the tools. So I think what what the the ticket there is 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 making the decision that I'm no longer accepting this form of status quo. I'm ready to invest in myself to make that leap. But there has to be the action. You know, LinkedIn post and Instagram post and you telling people all your ambitions and dreams that does nothing until you're ready to make the commitment to yourself more than anyone else you're ready to invest and take action and make the leap the the leap the leap can happen at that point in time yeah. where the rest of the group you know it could be for a, a variety of reasons that they found a place that they're content with maybe they you know they they're focused more on balance they're focused on integration they're focused on you know other things outside of the professional environment, they're still going to show up and do do great work. But that ambition and that desire to reach a next level is not as strong as just being a good quality employee, uh, even a good quality leader. They're they're they've kind of found what they've identified as their their status quo spot that works best for them. And they just simply don't have the drive to really make that leap, make that investment themselves. And the first thing I would say to that is that's okay. As long as you have the awareness and the clarity, I think there's a lot of great contributions those people can have. Where I see the difference or the misalignment show up is with that group where their actions are there, but they keep thinking that they're going to be making the leap. And so that's that's the worst thing to happen because you're always disappointing yourself. You you never live up to your own expectations. You never take advantage of those ambitions that you have. And that's where the big bill of regret shows up later on in life. Because you're going to be stuck thinking about what if I would have done that? I should have done that. I, you know, I, I talked a big game, but I walked a very small game, you know. And so I think that's where that disconnect comes from. So I think it all really comes down to the awareness and clarity of knowing where you are, what you're wanting, why you're wanting it and being at peace with it. Yeah. How do you help people make that jump? Because that crossing over that gulf of regret, uh, particularly mm-hmm. if it's if people find themselves maybe a little further along in their life or their career, and there's something they've known they wanted to commit themselves to, but they, they don't know how to, they don't know how to get there. What I find often is that the biggest thing standing in their way is the story they're telling themselves. So how can people prepare to move from, to move cross over the Gulf of regret and move into performance management and, and a life by design. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the one thing that I've learned in this role of helping other leaders is, you know, one of the cold, hard facts is I'll kind of answer this in two ways. The, the first, the most simplest way is we can support 
but we can't drive the change. The change must come within. I've, I'm now fully aware I can't change anyone until they are, in fact, ready to change. And so I think it's, it's, that, it's that self-audit. When those individuals feel the pain of inaction being greater than the discomfort of taking action, that's usually where the leap starts to happen. The one thing that I like to ask people is, you know, it's easy to go out there and ask for advice. And what do you think? What do you think? And my advice on advice is the single biggest person that you should be listening to is your 80-year-old self. If we're all fortunate and lucky enough to live to that age, think about what that version of you is going to be thinking about. They're most heavily going to be dealing with the thoughts of regret of not taking action. Because I, I, when you take action and screw up, I view that as a mistake where not taking action and just you're, you're, you're left with the big open vacuum of what if that's regret. And so what advice would your 80 year old self give to you today knowing that the goal for both versions is to minimize the regret in the future. And so I think when you can really dial that in, that's going to be the single biggest indicator. It's not something that Aaron or Will could motivate you or encourage you or get you to change. It's got to come from within or else it's all or else you're building a you're building a house of cards. And so once that internal light has come on, I, I know of no better way than asking your 80-year-old self what advice they would give you as that as that fuel to really know what, what you need to do. Yeah. For people who know my story, I've come through the process of recovery. And often when I'm working with people in early recovery, I will say to them that the scariest thing I can tell you is you're in charge. <laughs> Nobody's coming to save you. Oh, nobody. Yeah, no one's like you are. There's a there's a line from the Bourne movies if you've ever seen them, and it's in the second Bourne movie. They're trying to figure out like why because they had broken his brain and he's off he's off doing these things, and they're trying to figure out why he was where where he was getting his instructions from. And the Mm. person who had been handling him, I think it was Julia Stiles, she says, "If you want the scary answer, he's getting his instructions from him." Like, and and I think we have this sort of deep fear of. What would what would it be like if I owned my own story? And I think there's something in there about autotelic motivation as well, sort of finding finding the motivation within ourselves. What that, kinds of? Go oh, please go ahead. I, I was just, just going to elaborate on that. Yeah, because I, I think that's such brilliant advice and wisdom. Is because look, I don't care what your day to day role is, what your function yeah. is, what your title is, what. You know what shows up under your name on LinkedIn or your business cards. Move all that off to the side first for the second. What you are, what all of us are, are the CEO of our own lives, of, of our own journeys. There is no higher power or decision-making authority that impacts our habits, our routines, our behaviors, and our actions. That's on us. And so just like any great CEO of any Fortune 500 company, when you really want to make it to that next level, when you're really committing yourself for growth, the, the best CEOs in the world surround themselves with the best support system, the best tools, and the best resources to, to do that. You don't feel that you've got to do all of this on your own. Go out and get the proper 
support tools, systems, help frameworks, whatever it is. But yeah, I think I, I love to think of it that way. And it connects so well with what you said is, you know, the best CEOs hire the best teams. And we are, in fact, the CEOs of our own journey there. We can't we can't be fired from that job. And guess what? We also can't quit that job either. That is our job. Right. But it's important to realize that we need the team as well. And, you know, we, we, we talked about interdependence at the beginning. I mean, imagine if you walked into Cupertino and you walked into Apple headquarters and Tim Cook said, can I get you a cup of coffee? You'd be like, that's, that's not, that's crazy. Isn't it true though, in our own journey, at least one of the mistakes I've made, and I know one of the mistakes my uh, individuals I work with have made is the false belief that to be in the performance mindset, to be in the growth mindset means I need to do everything. So how do we find that balance between what what we need to own and then what we need to bring into our lives and in our journeys? That's a super great question. And um, one that I believe ties easily back to my three out success formula. If you remember that middle one, um, it's those who create the leverage in their life are the ones who win. Look, you know, it's it's been said way more articulate than this, but the game is in fact rigged. And when we think about life, when we think about business, there are no rewards that get handed out for how many hours you work or how hard or intense you There's work. No participation trophies. There's no participation trophies, but there are scoreboards, right? So whoever can deliver the best results always wins. And kind of back to back to that that standardized, finite resource that we all have. Doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or, or flipping burgers, we all only have 24 hours in our day. So the ones who can maximize the output with the minimum inputs that create the leverage on their time, on their energy, on their resources, on their focus, always win. It's kind of that it's kind of that simple. If if your plan is just to outwork everybody, well, guess what? It's like you're either going to burn out, you're going to have a heart attack, or I mean, that's not sustainable over 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Leverage is the key. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of kind of ties back to that core, that core principle in the three out formula. Yeah, I love that. And I love leverage. You know, sometimes the universe brings us these concepts and we just can't get away from them. And leverage is something I am surrounded by. I was, I, I participated in Alex Ramosi's book release. He had a half a million people online. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how do you do that? You know, he does it, he does it through leverage. Like he, he does it through leverage, but it's still an internal journey. So how, like, what do you see standing in the way of that? Let's say you really want to be that 10% or you, you even in are in that 10%. You've got the right mindset. What kinds of typical blocks do you see people facing in the journey toward, toward a per- true performance mindset? Yeah, yeah. I think the one biggest block that I see over and over and over again is inaction. It's the biggest killer. I mean, we can we can create a lot of different reasons why, and they're all good. I mean, fear of failure, imposter syndrome, now's not the right time. You, I'm, I'm going to wait until I get this amount of money in my bank account or this promotion. The list of reasons why, well, I mean, we'll go out the door and down and down the road. But what it all comes back to is inaction. It's the killer. Inaction has killed more dreams. Inaction has stopped more goals has you know cut off progress at at the knees more than anything else and so i would say 
the single biggest thing that you should avoid is inaction. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, there may be fear. Yes, there may be self-doubt or uncertainty. That's that's all the rent that we all pay on the journey of growth. It, it, there's no avoiding it. And so if you're letting those things, the unavoidable just items that come along with growth stop you from taking action, you've already lost. You've lost before you started. So it always comes back to me around, I mean, it it truly does hurt my heart when I hear about all the excuses that people have wrestled with in their own mind and and they're now sharing to the public as, well, now's not the right time because of this, or I'm waiting on this, or I'll I'll start Monday. How many times have we have we heard that? Is no, it when when you've made up this is your goal, this is what you want to do, the single biggest piece of advice, not I mean the, the advice you should be getting from your 80-year-old self, but if I could give you other piece of advice, start now. Start immediately. Do not let anything crawl in and create doubts and generate complacency, but it's always the number one killer in action. Yeah. Yeah, you you can take off whatever label you want to and put on whatever reason why inaction happens. It's it's always inaction. It always yeah, happens. and and motivation follows action, not the other way around, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've got a bit of a let's just say controversial uh, view on that. And you know, when we think about motivation, to to let's let, let's make this kind of a, a shock and awe moment, right? Motivation's a fraud. Yeah. Motivation will tell you up front before you start anything, it'll show up to the job interview and say, Hey, look, by the way, my job here is part time. I'm not showing up every day. I'm not going to be there for you. Most likely, when you need it the most, when things are really good, things are really easy, is probably when I'll show up. Right. So I'll be there for the for the Friday afternoon happy hour, but I'm not going to be there Monday morning when you really need, when you really need me, you know? And so I, I warn people that if motivation is a dependency for you based off what motivation will admit to you, to your face, yeah. you at best will be an inconsistent performer because motivation's fleeting. It, it ebbs and flows. So I would treat motivation as just the cherry on top. It is great when you're here. I'm so glad to see you. But also being able to tell it, I don't need you. You're not part of the equation. What is part of the equation is discipline, is that commitment that you make to yourself that even on the days where it sucks the most, you may have not slept the night before, you wake up with a headache, your dog tired, still being able to have the discipline to keep showing up, to keep pushing forward, to keep striving for greatness. Because it's going to be those days where you're going to experience the most growth, A, and guess who's not going to show up for you those days? Motivation. So I would always use motivation as that cherry on top, but really what it comes down to is a high level of accountability fueled by discipline. Yeah. and But also to go back to your earlier point, also the hope and the belief in our future self. I love the quote by Annie Dillard. She says, um, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Mm-hmm. And so imagining our future self, our 80-year-old self, I've committed to myself to live to 110. And yeah. that's because I kind of screwed up the first 55. So I figure I'm, I'm I'll just call <laughs> we'll just call that halfway and start over again. Yeah. It's really imagining that future self. Like what are do you have any 
ideas or suggestions? Like, what are some ways people can begin, some practices they can begin to use to imagine their future self? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's you know, for me, I I kind of like to I like to break it down into asking the kind of the Toyota five Y question. And for your for your audience, I'm sure a lot of people are are aware of it, but what brought Toyota to manufacturing fame was really their ability through kind of a, a method of asking the five whys of getting down to the root cause, right? Not not being distracted by the symptoms, but going down to, to the root cause analysis. And so when you think about your future self, when you think about your ideal version, go chase that root cause. You want to live on a beach? Great. Why? Well, it's just comfortable. It'll be nice. Great. Why is that important to you? Go deep. Find the why. Because when your why is strong enough, you'll always figure out the how. Plain and simple. And a mechanism that I like to use to make sure that there is a fortified strong why and it's connected to everything is kind of what I refer to as my success happiness audit. And we've all made the mistakes of giving up too much on one side to chase the shiny object on the other side maybe only to catch it and kind of think that or find ourselves as that dog with the fender in its mouth. Now, what the hell am I going to do with it? And as a matter of fact, I gave up way too much to get here. And now I'm filled with regret. I wish I would have done everything differently. And so it's really just three big questions that serve as a great audit to make sure you've got alignment in your life that will generate a strong why. Question number one, how are you defining success for yourself, not what you expect your external environment to celebrate or reward or what you can kind of post on social media. When you think about your core definition of success, what does that look like for you? Number two, what does happiness look like? A lot of people never take the time out to really stretch their own thinking to really define in an articulate, crisp way, what does happiness look like for me? It's, it's an exercise we all need to do because third, the big question is based on how you're defining success, which was question number one, and based on what happiness looks like for you, question number two, do those two things align or are they in conflict with each other? And you would be surprised when I take people through this, through this, this tool, the lightning bulb moments that show up of wow, I may have been doing all the things to chase my definition of success or at least the perceived definition of success without realizing I was giving up everything on this other side. And so when you wonder why people look at our country and you know, to a third world you know, developing country, it's like they're full of a bunch of miserable millionaires. That's likely true. It's because we're chasing after things that don't have a strong why we don't want we don't need it's just it's a it's a social status thing and we're giving up so much of what we truly do want happiness thinking that once we achieve this or that happiness will come after that and i hate to be the bearer of bad news but that rarely rarely happens and so if you're not enjoying the journey if you're not becoming who you ideally want to become on that path to chasing what you're chasing there's going to be some emptiness once you, once you achieve it. Yeah. That's powerful, powerful, powerful. I love those three questions. 
So I'm going to close this in just a minute with like a really big picture question. One yeah. I've been playing around with lately with, with guests on the podcast. But before we do that, so people are listening to this, how would they find you? If they're interested in working with you, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. Best two places I would say is one would please visit my website, get a lot more understanding of my approach, what separates me and my firm different from a lot of other you know experiences out there and how specifically I can help you. And that's just performancemindsetcoaching.co. Tons of information there. And then secondly, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out, connect, let's engage. I'm trying... I think of my LinkedIn as kind of a vessel. And if I can provide significant value at zero cost to people who are just following along, hey, that's a win for me. So those two places are where uh, where I, I show up the most, I guess you could say. I love that. And I love the heart of service on LinkedIn. So thank you for that. I want to close with like one really big, big question. Let's uh, do it. So I, I want to imagine that the world leaders are listening to this episode of Mission Driven You. And they hear Aaron, they hear you talking about these three questions, uh, balancing the definition or balancing how you define success and happiness. And, and they hear about your three outs and all that. And now I want you to imagine a world 20 years from now where they've listened to what you've provided us today and the world has been transformed. Mm-hmm. What kind of world could you imagine happening if people took this idea of performance management and all these questions you've been asking seriously? Mm. You're right. That is a big, that's a big, bold question. Hmm. Here's what's intuitively floating to the surface. You know, I think when I think about leadership, I think leadership has an unbelievable opportunity as a privilege and great responsibility of those in power to help others become the best version of themselves, help others tap into their full potential. So When I think about that question and I think of the role that global leaders can have, I'm getting this visual of creating a tide that can lift maybe not all, but most boats by helping everybody tap into their full potential, helping everybody be in an environment that encourages, strives, and pushes people to become their best version. And if we do that, I think it's a win, win, win. We all win when we're surrounded by environments where people are striving to do great things. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be uplifting. It's going to help create opportunity. It's going to truly make the world a better place. And so I'm a firm believer that one of the core responsibilities of leadership is helping helping make people and situations better. So in that hypothetical solution, Leaders, if you're listening, your job is to make people and situations better. Do your job well, and we all win. I love that answer. I love that answer. I love that vision for the world. And I have so appreciated our time together. I'm so glad to share you and and your perspective with the audience. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Will. This was fun. 